today on Ag News Daily. A lot of guys had a fair, and gals had a fair amount of beans uh, sold this year compared to what they normally do. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a Monday Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Delaney Howell, one of the hosts for the podcast, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney Howe. I tell you what, it is sunny. Mm -hmm. It is not terribly cold. Mm -hmm. It's actually a pleasant fall day. It finally feels like fall, doesn't it, today? It does. And you know what I was thinking over the weekend? We had kind of some crazy temperature swings here in, Mm -hmm. uh, in Iowa. And I was thinking my problem with fall is that I'm always, when I'm outside... I'm either too hot or too cold. Mm-hmm. That's the problem I have with fall. I've never understood the, oh, it's so beautiful outside. It is. It's pretty to have the leaves changing and stuff. But I either put on my sweatshirt and a long sleeve shirt because it's chilly in the morning, and then by afternoon I'm a sweaty mess, or <laughs> I think, you know what, by this afternoon I'll be a sweaty mess, so I'll wear, you know, lightweight clothes, and then it doesn't warm up and I'm freezing cold all day. Sounds like a, thir- a first world problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, it's a first world problem. I was listening to the news today on the radio, and they were saying that in probably 85% of the country, we're seeing 50 and 60 degree weather. Like that would describe about 85% of the country today weather-wise, unless you live in Southern California or Southern Florida. Wow, that's got to be a weird... It's, it's it's like one of the most uniform days huh. in weather history. Interesting. Well, listeners, I suppose we're all probably dealing with 55 to 60 degree days today. Mm-hmm. But uh, Delaney, you know, today is Market Monday. It is. And we'll be talking to Matt Bennett from Bennett Consulting a little bit later on. So listeners, stay tuned. Tomorrow, of course, is Tech Tuesday. Yes. Now, a few Tech Tuesdays ago, might have been six months or so, we talked to some folks from Syngenta's Enogen Seed Corn brand. Do you mm-hmm. remember that? Yep. Enogen, of course, is the variety Syngenta developed to work best in ethanol plants. Well, now they've done some additional research and they have found that Enogen also performs really, really well in corn silage. The same techniques that give it an advantage in ethanol plants, reducing the amount of time it takes to break down and free up those sugars, turns out are the exact same things that work really well in a cow's rumen. Mm. So they're saying for dairy farmers, Enogen is uh, perhaps an opportunity to improve profit potential because that ration will have more energy, which is very cool news. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's the in-seed amylase technology. That was the uh, the word I couldn't remember. That's okay. what makes the starch easier for cattle to digest. That'd be an interesting interview. Absolutely. So maybe we can find some dairy farmers who are feeding it. Well, today isn't Tech Tuesday, but it's tomorrow. I've seen some interesting technology today I wanted to share about that Cargill actually has developed, which is the first industry robotic cattle driver. They've worked for about two years to develop a prototype, which included help from Dr. Temple Grandin, who's, of course, the uh, animal science professor, professor well-known from Colorado State University. Um, but apparently the device uses automated arms, blowers, and audio recordings to move cattle in a desired direction and can operate rain, snow, mud, or uh, no delay, I guess, to improve on safety for um cattle movers and i don't know i'm interested to see did you watch the video of it yet delaney no it is have you watched it i have so folks this has been floating around on twitter since uh probably friday okay and it's there in schuyler nebraska's i believe where they're using it Mm -hmm. and it's got these whip arms that they've attached trash bags to as it walks or as it zips down the aisle the trash bags wave up in the air and it is a very very crazy looking robot 
but it certainly seems to be effective. And from the stockyards perspective, that's one less person in the aisle with cows who could get kicked, who could get mm-hmm. stomped, and uh, really lessens their uh, liability concerns. Well, and I guess if Dr. Temple Grandin has signed off of one, it's probably, you know, whatever, humane. Well, I mean, it's basically just the same as a person walking yeah. down the aisle, only it's a person that can be, you know, kicked in the head because it doesn't have a head. Right. And it's just got bags that it flops around. And yeah. uh, it, it would scare me if I were a steer and this thing were coming at me. <laughs> it's a little bizarre looking, isn't it? It is. It is. I don't know if you've ever watched like those old school Doctor Who episodes late at night on public television. No, I don't think so. It looks like a robot from that, like out of the 70s science yeah, fiction Yeah, it kind of type. does. It really doesn't look very high tech, Mm-mm. but... Oh, you don't need stuff If Cargill's using it, then it's probably working. Yeah, I mean, Absolutely. Well, speaking of probably working, we know something that probably isn't working, which is relations between the United States and China. They've gotten cold with the trade issue, and they are getting colder as the United States sent two warships through the Taiwan Strait today. This is the second time we've done that this year, and uh, the military says they are going to increase the frequency of their transits through that area, even though China is directly opposed to it. Um Commander Nate Christensen, who is the deputy spokesman of the U.S. Pacific Fleet, said the ship's transit through the Taiwan Strait demonstrates the U.S. commitment to a free and open Indo-Pacific, and the U.S. Navy will continue to fly, sail, and operate anywhere international law allows. So not directly related to agriculture, but another sign of rising tensions between mm-hmm. the U.S. and uh, and China and rising tensions that are probably going to culminate when President G and President Trump get together at that G20 summit. Yeah, I think November 19th or 20th is when they're expected to meet. I've also got some interesting news to share in relation to the Chinese-U.S. trade war. I was reading an article today that's talking about how Chinese experts have quote-unquote filtered trade war advice to Beijing policymakers. Mm. So some experts did insufficient insufficient research or gave responses to serve their backers' interest and have kind of de-escalated or made it look less worse than it is. For In China? Yes. Interesting. Where did you read that article? What, uh, what's, what was the source? It's on the South China Morning Post this morning. Huh. So people are basically saying nice things to President Xi, even though that mm-hmm. might not be real. Yeah. And it says, although the think tanks are all government-affiliated, their stances vary sharply across those various think tanks. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you know, as long as we're talking China, there's uh, there's more news here. Not necessarily new news from African swine fever, but an update. China has now culled 200,000 pigs following its recent outbreaks. And then this is, that's on the Chinese side. On the European side, France is now building a fence to stop the virus between Jeez. or to stop wild boars. That seems that idiotic almost, doesn't it? I don't know. If you have a strong enough fence, you can keep can wild pass. boars out, I suppose. I feel like it'd have to be a really big fence, though. Yeah, really long. Yeah. It has to span the entire border between France and Belgium. Yeah. And Belgium's not huge. No, but... It'd be like fencing off a county, I suppose. A big Texas county. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it'd be an expensive proposition, but if France gets... Uh, African swine fever, that would mm-hmm. also be an expensive proposition. So 
This disease continues to spread. Greg Ibach from the USDA, he's the undersecretary there for marketing, says, quote, this is a very serious disease that would have devastating economic consequences in the U.S. And the USDA is asking vets and farmers to immediately report sick pigs to government officials so they can be tested for African swine fever. So, folks, if you have a sick hog, call your vet or uh, call the USDA diagnostic lab and let them know or... uh, you know, Lenny, this is probably not great advice, but were you around when the cow that stole Christmas came back in 2003? Well, um, yeah, I was the BSC around. Cow. Yeah, yeah. were you paying attention to markets no, and stuff? No, I think I was in like third grade then. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, so that was the BSE cow who was discovered in Washington. And my dad always said if he'd had a sick cow on our property, on the Pearson farm, He'd have shot it mm-hmm. and buried her, and there never would have been a BSE scare in the mm-hmm. United States. Yeah, I think a lot of farmers would probably do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then there's no African swine fever in the U.S., and our exports aren't hit. Mm-hmm. Just a thought. Just an interesting Just not thought. It's a, a conspiracy theory, almost. Yeah. 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 You're giving yeah. people advice and ideas I'm now. I'm not giving them advice. I'm <laughs> saying they shouldn't do it. They should call their vet. But then they have to report it. Right. Yeah. And their vet should report it. We should yeah. keep these things open and honest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you shoot it and bury it, then there's no African swine fever. Okay. I'm just saying those are the facts. Uh, so yeah. what other news do you have for us, Delaney? Well, I've got a little bit of news here from the EU. EU ministers have approved to go ahead and start negotiations to raise the U.S. beef quota. The European Commission can go ahead now and plan to grant the U.S. additional market access for premium market beef awesome yeah not much news news. it's a slow news day as we discussed earlier but it is a slow news day but it's always good to get high quality u.s beef into the mouths of europeans so Mm -hmm. they can crave it going forward yeah well i just have a a little piece of news here secretary sonny purdue issued a statement today about the u.s mca the mexico canada agreement the former nafta and uh, in this he said that Under USMCA, we have created new rules to help our farmers, ranchers, and workers better face the challenges of the 21st century economy, which will secure greater access to the Mexican and Canadian markets and maintain and improve the highly productive integrated agricultural relationships we have as nations. Now, it goes into a little bit of detail about how USMCA is affecting agriculture, and there's really only two key aspects where ag is touched. We continue to be uh, basically tariff-free between all three nations. However, they did change a number of provisions relating to biotechnology, Mm -hmm. particularly gene editing and how that is perceived. Basically, the American way of doing it is now common across all three countries, which is good news for American scientists. And, of course, we've got Canada eliminating the Class 6 and Class 7 milk pricing schemes which is great news for the American dairy producer. So those are the two ways in which ag was impacted by this new USMCA. I was reading an article today that says it's been, I don't know, mid-summer, late summer since we've really had any conversations with, I can't remember if it was Canada or Mexico. It must have been Mexico. Mm, Probably. But it's just basically been kind of, you know, at a stalemate. I mean, we've got it in place, but... Yeah, now we just have to let it work its way through. Yeah. Our legislative system, the Mexican legislative system, and the Canadian. Mm-hmm. So kind of at a lull. But I am out of news, Delaney Howell. Do you have any more, or should we jump into the markets? The only other thing I was going to just mention quickly here is, according to the latest forecast from the USDA's ERS service, 
Net farm income is already near a 15-year low here in 2018, and forecasters are expecting it to continue into 2019 to see again farm income drop even lower. Ugh, I believe it. I believe it. Things don't look good, of course, when you look at the futures markets to、mm-hmm. see what prices could be doing. But what do you say? Should we look at the futures markets? Let's do it. Let's do it. And folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, get a marketing plan in place. It is not too late for 2018, and it's always good to think about 2019. Call our friends at Zaner, and you can reach them at 312-277-0050, or find them on the web at Zaner. dot com, and we've got green on the screen in the corn market. December contract up two and a half cents at three sixty nine and a half. The March up two and a quarter, closed at three eighty one and three quarters. Soybeans also in the green, albeit slightly. The November contract up one and three quarter cents at eight fifty eight and a half. The January up two to close at eight seventy two and a half. Little weakness in Chicago wheat today. The December contract was down six and three quarter cents to finish the day at five oh eight even. The March also down six and three quarters, closed at five twenty seven and. A half. Looking over to livestock, we've got green all the way down the screen in live cattle. The October contract was up 55 cents at 112.80. The December up a dollar 30 to close on the day at 118.07 and a half. And some strength here in feeder cattle. The October was up a dollar on the day at 155.65, but the deferred month saw some action. The November contract up two dollars 82 and a half cents, bringing it to close to 156.92 and a half. And in lean hogs, the December contract was up a dollar 57.50 at 53.17 and a half, with the February up a dollar 27.50 to close at 60 dollars 30. Of course, we cannot forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Weakness today is the October. Class three milk contract was down two cents at fifteen fifty three, and the November was off eleven to wrap up the day at fifteen forty two. To see what could happen the rest of the week in the markets, let's jump over to Matthew Bennett for our hashtag Market Monday. Hashtag Market Monday brought to us by our friends at Barber Cattle. Are you looking to buy or sell quality cattle? Make Barber Cattle your first call. Laura Barber of Barber Cattle and Sons of Kentucky can connect you with high quality cattle, and they work nationwide. Call Laura at eight five nine two two nine seven six nine one. That number again eight five nine two two nine seven six nine one. Get the best cattle with Barber. Well, for today's Market Monday episode, we're chatting with Matt Bennett of Bennett Consulting. Matt, let's kick it off here. Let's look at at the. I'm going to start with soybeans because last week we pulled back pretty significantly across the board. Today we're up a penny in what three quarters here in the November contract. Was last week's pullback a correction, or is that a signal that we're heading into a downward trend here? You know the bean market. The previous week, it actually,、uh, you know, closed the week really good in that the report came out.、Uh, guys in the Western Corn Belt, Dakotas,、uh, you know, are having the issues getting、uh, soybeans harvested. Not to mention some of the quality concerns that we、uh, were starting to hear about.、Uh, but then the weather kind of eased off a little bit, and I, I think that it had a, a great deal to do with the market、uh, selling off. And then later in the week. You know, some demand factors kind of stepped in、uh, whenever we looked at some poor export numbers. So、uh, I think that the bean market、uh, is just trying to kind of figure out which direction to go at this point.、Uh, yeah, it's an awfully big crop,、uh, but whenever your carryout didn't come in、uh, close to a billion, like some people were worried about for the October report, it kind of gave a little bit of life to the market. And so、uh, I think right now we're just trying to see what's this harvest going to turn out like, and are we going to have significant、uh, 
uh, damage issues uh, out of uh, states like Iowa and Nebraska. Uh, I think that uh, time will tell here very quickly. I think that today's uh, numbers as far as the uh, uh, harvest progress are going to tell us a fair amount because uh, typically when we get to 50% or better, uh, we can start to see maybe a little bit of life, which uh, might be an interesting thing this uh, year in that we've actually seen life uh, with huge crops uh, in September and October. That's the question I wanted to jump into with you. For growers who are getting out there, they're not seeing a lot of weather damage. Yields are looking pretty good. How do you handle marketing additional unmarketed bushels in the soybean market in 2018? I mean, if you got bin space, you stick them in a bin, I suppose, but if you don't, what do we do? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. And I think the thing that we've uh, found with most of the producers we've worked with here this fall is that, first of all, uh, a lot of guys had a fair, and gals had a fair amount of beans uh, sold this year compared to what they normally do because the bean market offered uh, quite a bit of opportunity above $10 basis to know. I think everyone and their brother was out there recommending to at least make some bean sales. And it's not because any of us knew that the market was going to move lower. It was just a very profitable area to be in, especially the kind of yields we've had the last few years. So coming into this fall, if you had any beans sold at all, it certainly makes your decision a little bit easier, first of all. Second of all, even if you didn't, though, uh, a lot of folks in our part of the world with an 80 under basis, uh, you know, they were, uh, you know, pushing on $8 beans, a little bit above $8 beans uh, here in the last week or so. Uh, uh, to me, if you have yield levels like we've been hearing pretty consistently, especially in my part of the world, uh, you can actually make uh, $7.80 to $8 beans work at those yield levels whenever you factor in the 82 and a half cents a bushel. And so we need to be looking at every aspect of this market. We certainly I can't forget and uh, signed up for, uh, uh, for the subsidy money. I believe it was last Wednesday because we finished up on Tuesday and I had my money today. So it's actually a very quick process and it, it, it is a substantial amount of money for, especially uh, for those producers, uh, you know, with good bean yields. The thing that's tough is, is if you're a producer with poor bean yields, it's kind of a double whammy this fall. Matt, I wanted to circle back on that real quick with you. You went in and signed up for your market adjustment payment last Wednesday and you got the money today? That's correct. Now, don't, wow. I hope my wife is not listening to this podcast <laughs> uh, because, uh, Amazon's going to be showing up at my doorstep, but <laughs> no, uh, yes, actually I, I, it was Wednesday and, <laughs> and it was in my, uh, you know, direct payment, uh, today I checked this morning. It was actually in there today. So it was a very quick turnaround and they, they told me it would not take long at all. Um, and so, you know, I, I talked to uh, just a handful of producers that, uh, weren't entirely sure exactly how this program was going to work. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I said, you have to factor that into your marketing program. I mean, it's it's a sure thing, this first payment. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen with the second payment, if there will be one or not. But 82 and a half cents, I mean, that's, a, you know, that's 10% on top of today's cash prices. Matt, does it make sense? Soybeans, it definitely factors out. It pencils out. I was talking to my dad this weekend for corn growers. He said, you know, it's a penny on one bushel or it's a penny a bushel for 50% of your harvested acres. Does it make sense for guys to sign up if they're if they're all corn this year or if they have lower acres of corn does it make sense time wise dad was like factoring out and he said i don't want to mess with it i don't want to go into the fsa office fill out all the paperwork and get 150 200 back 
Uh, well, here's the thing, and, and I understand it, it's such a crazy uh, disparity, you know, a buck, uh, a buck sixty-five, you know, and then half of that or a penny. And so, obviously, everyone's kind of scratching their heads, kind of wondering. But I will say this: when you go into the FSA office, they literally ask you, "What's your total production for this fall?" Uh, that's the question they ask, and you are subject to be spot checked. Uh, you you know, but the bottom line is it's not a lot of paperwork, and it took me about five minutes. Now, okay. I had all my settlement sheets. I went ahead and figured out what my total production was before I went in. When they ask you about bins, uh, you know, they basically said what you would be turning into crop insurance. So, obviously, you'd want to have a conservative estimate uh, in the event you were spot checked. But let's face it, if you're off a 1,000 bushels, that's not going to amount to a whole lot of money when you're looking at a penny a bushel. Yeah, yeah, you could flip that $10 bill over and uh, call it a day. Yeah. Now, while we're talking yeah. about the corn market here, Matt, where do you see this thing going? It seems as though we've been chopping in around here on the on the D's contract. You know, that 370 seems to be a kind of a magnet for the market. What's it going to take to move significantly one way or the other? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, the, like I said previously, it seems like a lot of times you kind of uh, drift lower, uh, you know, into maybe halfway done with harvest or so. This has been an interesting year in that we carried in this huge crop. Uh, we came in in September and we blew up the uh, national yield, you know, to 181.3. Uh, in the market really kind of stumbled. And then we came roaring back. And then you came in with a quarterly stocks report. You got you know, punched in the in the nose again. Corn market went down. And then it came roaring back once again. And then you come in in October with everyone expecting, for the most part, at least a slight, where, slight upward adjustment in yield. And you get a downward revision. And so instead of talking a 2 billion carryout, we're talking a 1.8 carryout-ish now, are we going to get wildly bullish with those types of figures? I mean, you guys know and I know in many parts of the Midwest, there's corn everywhere. And so the basis has been historically wide. Uh, what's this market going to do from here? Are we going to be able to get some footing? Uh, well, I feel like we've already had more footing maybe than what I would have thought we would have, especially looking at uh, the way these soybean prices have behaved. Uh, we've been able to lean on 950 to 1050 beans here the last several years, uh, which has really made the corn market uh, uh, buoyed at times. Now you're looking at, uh, let's look at D's 19, you're at 401 and a half. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty darn good price whenever you're looking at November beans, uh, you know, at 920. And so I feel like the corn market actually relative to beans has held up quite well. Uh, do I think that the market's going to uh, go one way or the other? Uh, rapidly at this stage of the game, it sure seems like a sideways market to me. I think the things that could break it out is if we do end up uh, with a down re revision in yield and we can have the export program performing a heck of a lot better than what we saw last week. You know, inspections were pretty good again this morning. We've obviously, uh, we're, we're almost 75% ahead of last year as far as inspections go. Now, typically you see soybeans are the ones that we are shipping out this time of year, but as we all know, I mean, that's uh, not much of a secret that we're just not shipping a whole lot of beans out uh, this year. And so uh, I do think that if you could keep the demand up uh, and you continue to maybe whittle this crop down a little bit, it's going to give the corn market a fair amount of support. Uh, but I would be somewhat cautious of that long term, especially whenever I'm making plans for the 2019 crop. Matt, I want to go back to um, 
You mentioned yields there for a second. Looking into November, do you anticipate the USDA to lower yields, to raise yields, to keep them the same for the corn and soybean markets? I mean, we've seen a lot of wet weather. Producers are talking. What are you hearing? What are you expecting to see? Right, and that's that's a great question. I, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is that you made this big jump uh, for the corn yield in September, and then we went back lower in October, which is not common. Uh, it's just not something right. that we typically see. And so uh, I think whenever you factor in, stop and think, whenever they did the yields, uh, that was as of October 1st. And, and to be honest, the, the wet weather story in Iowa, Nebraska, Minnesota, and the Dakotas, uh, that was starting to develop, but it certainly wasn't a big story yet. And I don't think that was factored in whatsoever uh, with, the, with the October report. And so I guess where I'm going with this is that I think that the bean yield is done growing. And I think we've seen the biggest bean yield uh, that we're going to see. I think that you'll see a downward revision there. And given that the corn market has already topped out and started moving lower uh, as well, whenever we look at the weather, I think that it can factor in uh, if you get into any sort of a later harvest, which obviously some folks are feeling like it's a late harvest for them at this stage of the game, we typically see the, uh, we typically see some yield losses. So I would expect that we will see downward revisions. I'm just not. I'm, I don't think we can look for anything uh, huge, but I do think that, uh, especially in the case of beans, it could be very interesting, especially with some of these issues that we're having with quality. You know, I was talking to a producer in uh, north central Iowa who had 10% damage on his soybeans when he went to the elevator, and uh, you know, I tell you, that's a that's a decent yield reduction. I actually uh, talked to an elevator guy in Iowa that told me he had a load that was 34%, uh, 34% damage. And so I think, you know, now I don't know if that's what they docked the producer, but I do know there's been some nightmares as far as damage goes. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be some definite disparities with folks who applied fungicide and didn't. But even on fungicide applied beans, I'm hearing that there are, uh, you know, some damage issues. So, you know, typically we don't see a, a big rally uh, because of damaged beans. It kind of works its way into the crush market. But, uh, you know, we could be seeing a little bit of a, 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 especially a regional issue on finding good quality beans, which could raise, you know, your basis levels for good beans. And so that should filter out a fair amount. But uh, bottom line, it's an issue this year for sure. Matt, let's talk, uh, let's transition here out of grains and talk feeder cattle. What's going on in the feeder cattle markets today? We had some deferred contracts up almost limit today. Why Why the sudden change? Yeah. What happened, Matt? I was in the car. I, I didn't see it until we got yeah. and saw the market closes. We got November up 285. I mean, what in the world? Looking down at uh, January, it's up 297.50 on the day. What happened? Well, it's to be honest, I mean, this cattle market has been pretty wild at times, you know, and then we just we just get uh, uh, quiet as can be. But in my opinion, whenever I'm looking at this feeder cattle market, uh, talking to guys uh, going out and trying to buy feeders, the, the market is still hot. Uh, there are plenty of feeders to buy. Uh, the thing that has really amazed me is that when you look at the fat cattle market, uh, you know, if, you, if you're not paying attention, you, you probably don't understand why guys would want to be bidding up for feeders so much. But, heck, if you look at the uh, April uh, fat cattle market, what, a buck 23. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so if, if I do the math, 
you know, some of these uh, deferred contracts, you get a little bit farther out and it gets a little bit worrisome. Uh, but what, what I think is going on, in my opinion, is the cattleman is saying, look, yeah, if I go farther out, like for instance, clear on out to next August, I'm only at a buck thirteen fifty. So if I'm doing the math, yeah, it's going to be hard to lock in margins. But what we're seeing is that demand uh, for for beef is still quite robust, and I think that the cattle producer is still going to continue to bet on the come when they see one twenty two, one twenty three is posted on the board. I think it gets them awfully excited, and uh, people are going in there wanting to bid up the feeder cattle market. I guess the thing that I, and you're kind of explaining this, but I I want to dive a little deeper. The thing I keep questioning, I was in a stockyard last week in Lexington and people are paying 150, 155, 160 for feeders. If we've got so many feeders, why are folks willing to pay that much? I mean. Well, I just think, I think whenever you, you look back eight weeks, for instance, uh, you know, and we were we're looking at, uh, for instance, the fat cattle market. Uh, we were significantly lower than where we're at today. And uh, and like I said, anytime you get some enthusiasm built into this fat cattle market, uh, feeders will get hot. And yes, there are plenty of them around, but uh, you know, and let's let's face it, corn prices aren't uh, aren't. They're not uh, terrible, but the bottom line is the basis is so wide that guys can buy fairly cheap corn. And I think that it's something that's going to factor into the feeder cattle market when they know that they can lock in feed costs that aren't exactly going to break the budget. And so, you know, the basis for corn is probably factoring into the feeder cattle market, uh, buying feeders more than what people might uh, think about, unless they really know the way these cattle guys' minds work. But bottom line is if they can lock in their input costs, uh, you know, I don't care where the board is. If you're looking at historically wide basis levels for a lot of folks in the Midwest, that's exactly what the cattle buyer wants to see. Absolutely. You can put that corn in the belly of a steer and walk it off the farm and uh, get a little more positive basis. Absolutely. Matt Bennett with Bennett Consulting, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. If our listeners want to talk to you further, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, the best way is to go to my website at BennettConsulting.net. A really good way to get a hold of me there. You can get my contact information, and then we can kind of go from there. Fantastic. Well, Matt, stay safe over there in Illinois. Hope winter doesn't come too soon for us here in the Midwest. Absolutely. You guys have a great week. Well, again, a big thank you to Matt Bennett there. I've got to admit, I was getting a little confused. I was looking for clarification for the feeder cattle thing. You explained it to me afterwards. Demand, demand, demand. It's just confusing because usually you think supply would push price. If we've got a big supply, it would push prices down. But still, producers are willing to pay the higher prices. Absolutely. You know, in absence of this higher supply, if we hadn't seen the cow herd grow as much as it did over the past three years, given the amount of demand out there from U.S. consumers and Asian, particularly South Korean and Japanese consumers, you know, we'd probably have feeder cattle uh, close to record highs if we didn't have the numbers. But since we have a huge supply, that's what's uh, keeping the price there in the mid-150s, as Matt was talking about in his analysis. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very cool stuff. If our listeners want to get more very cool stuff or hear maybe what the markets were doing in the past, and maybe fact check our Market Monday episodes. Delaney, where should they go to do that? I like that. Fact check us. Yes, do that. They can head to our website, agnewsdaily.com. They can also interact with us on social media if they've got questions, comments, concerns. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Agnews Daily. 
With that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. 